All right. Former Speaker of the House Kevin McCarthy is heading out the door by Christmas, and he's taking with him an $11 million war chest that he's free to pretty much spend on whatever he wants. It may be legal. Then again, it may not be. McCarthy was a prolific fundraiser. That's why he became Speaker. His leadership pack over the past decade raised $26 million from unsuspecting donors who were told their money would be distributed by McCarthy. He would distribute it, he said, to other Republican candidates so his party would either keep or win back the House of Representatives. That's how you become Speaker. You convince wealthy donors that you're the eyes and ears of the Republican Party. So give me cash and I'll know who to give it to. I'll know how to spread it around so we can find the best and brightest Republicans to run for office. But like I said, over the past decade, Kevin McCarthy raised $26 million, but only dispersed a little under $15 million. That's why there's $11 million in Kevin McCarthy's war chest as he heads for the exit. And he might be able to spend that money any way he chooses. It might be perfectly legal. Then again, it may not be. There's new reporting in the Los Angeles Times over the weekend, which reveals that Kevin McCarthy dipped into that war chest and spent close to a million dollars on a lavish lifestyle of first-class travel, first-class hotels, and restaurants. According to the Los Angeles Times, Kevin McCarthy spent as much as $200,000 at one of California's most exclusive resorts, where he may have been accompanied a couple of times by a female life coach who took to Instagram showing pictures of herself lounging around the pool. If you ask the entire Republican caucus, they will tell you that Kevin McCarthy cannot be trusted. That's why he was forced to vacate the chair. Many in his caucus call him an inveterate liar. We know that Kevin McCarthy, during the past 10 years, raised $26 million from unsuspecting donors who thought he was going to spread it around, helping Republican candidates get elected to Congress. But we also know $11 million was left unspent. He's heading for the doors with all of it in his pocket and no accountability. More on Kevin McCarthy's $11 million heist later on in this episode. But first, this is the mop-up for December 10th, 2023. I'm David Feldman. Please like this episode so I remain in your feed. Subscribe to my newsletter and my channel. Don't forget to take me wherever you go by downloading this show on iTunes or wherever you get your podcasts. This is a podcast. On Monday, 
Donald Trump takes the witness stand again in the New York State civil fraud trial, where he has already been found guilty of defrauding banks, insurers, and the government to the tune of hundreds, to the tune of hundreds of millions, perhaps billions of dollars. Also returning to the stand next week will be Trump's expert witness, New York University Stern School of Business Research Professor Eli Bartov, who testified on Thursday on behalf of Donald Trump. He testified under oath that he spent 650 hours reviewing the Trump Organization's documents and concluded there was absolutely no evidence of fraud. When lawyers for the state attorney general asked Professor Bartoff if Trump had in fact overstated the value of his penthouse in Trump Tower by tripling its size, Professor Bartoff said, well, yes, yes, that valuation is in fact wrong. But then Professor Bartoff said it was merely an error. When the prosecutor said, isn't it true that you're a paid witness who will say whatever your client asks you to for money? Professor Bartoff clutched his pearls and shot back. You should be ashamed of yourself talking to me like that. Mm-hmm. Then, and I hope you're sitting down, the New York State Attorney General, they're one of the lawyers for the New York State Attorney General, asked Professor Bartoff under oath, how much are you being paid for your expertise? And Professor Bartoff said, $1,350. A week? A day? No, an hour, $1,350 an hour. And since Professor Bartoff spent 650 hours reviewing Donald Trump's books, he was paid close to $900,000 for his expert testimony. Who, you're probably asking, paid for his testimony? He said the Trump Organization, but New York State Attorney General Letitia James said most of his $900,000 salary came out of Trump's Save America PAC, which ordinary Americans donate to, believing Trump's promise that the money they donate will be used to investigate election fraud. As Donald Trump often says, we love the uneducated. How do you and I get a super PAC like Donald Trump and Kevin McCarthy? I got to start a super PAC. You know, the Midas people, they have a super PAC. It's great. It's great. You don't have to pay taxes. Get a super PAC. New York State Attorney General Letitia James later mocked the professor saying the guy doesn't know what he's talking about since he hasn't prepared a financial statement since the 1980s. He's a professor, doesn't need to actually know what he's talking about. 
According to The Guardian, Letitia James's office also had to hire an expert witness to go over Trump's books to prove Trump defrauded the banks, insurers, and the government. That expert witness charged the state of New York $350,000 for his testimony. Kenneth Cheesebro, the Trump lawyer who wrote the memos outlining the phony elector scheme and provided key documents for the participants in that scheme to forge, he is expected to meet with Arizona's Attorney General Chris Mays next week. She has launched an investigation into the 11 Arizona Republicans who signed documents falsely claiming to be duly electors for Donald Trump even though he lost the state by 10,000 votes. This means Arizona will be added to the growing list of 2020 swing states prosecuting the participants in Trump's phony elector scheme. Cheesebro, two weeks ago, flew to Nevada to testify before a grand jury, which then returned indictments for six Republicans, including the chairman of the Nevada State Republican Party, for participating in the phony elector scheme in that state. Meanwhile, the state of Michigan has already indicted the Republicans who participated in that state's phony elector scheme. Wisconsin is also conducting a criminal investigation into that state's false elector scheme. Last week, the Wisconsin Republicans who forged documents claiming they were duly elected Trump delegates settled a civil lawsuit where they agreed to put in writing that Donald Trump lost to Joe Biden and they promised not to serve as electors in the 2024 presidential election. Criminal investigations are still going on in New Mexico's phony elector scheme. And Kenneth Cheesebro has agreed to cooperate in all these investigations. In Georgia, Cheesebro already pled guilty to orchestrating that state's phony elector scheme and has agreed, when called upon, to testify against any of the 18 co-defendants in that RICO trial, one of whom, of course, is Donald Trump. Fonnie Willis, the Fulton County District Attorney, who came up with this RICO trial, in a series of letters exchanged with Donald Trump's attorneys, Fonnie Willis revealed that she's not interested in negotiating with the former president. In her letters, she made it abundantly clear to them that her end game is to put Donald Trump behind bars in Georgia. Back in 2016, Donald Trump lost the Iowa caucus to Texas Senator Ted Cruz and then immediately claimed voter fraud. Now, Trump is leading in Iowa right now. But Ron DeSantis has received an endorsement from Iowa's top evangelical leader who has endorsed every winning candidate in Iowa since 2012. DeSantis has also been endorsed by the governor of Iowa, Kim Reynolds. If somehow DeSantis pulls off an upset in Iowa, we know Trump will claim voter fraud. 
And Ron DeSantis's wife just gave Donald Trump the ammunition. Casey DeSantis appeared on Fox News Friday night and encouraged Republicans from surrounding states to descend on Iowa on January 15th to participate in the caucuses. Casey DeSantis incorrectly stated that it was legal for non-residents to participate in Iowa's caucuses. She said, quote, You do not have to be a resident of Iowa to be able to participate in the caucus. So moms and grandmas are going to be able to come and be a part and let their voices be heard to support Ron, unquote. So there you have it. Trump immediately accused the DeSantis campaign of rigging the election. The Republican Party and the DeSantis campaign immediately corrected Casey DeSantis, but she just handed Donald Trump enough fodder for Trump should he go down in flames in Iowa to claim the election was rigged. This is the wife of the governor of Florida who doesn't know you have to be an Iowa resident to vote in Iowa while her husband set up a special task force to round up black people and accuse them of illegally voting. He destroyed the lives of several black residents of Florida who had spent time in prison, and he began arresting them. And uh, he's all big on voter ID, right? But his idiot wife thinks you don't have to be a resident of Iowa to participate in the caucuses. The real clear polling averages for Iowa show DeSantis in second place. With 18.7% of the vote, Trump is in first with 47.3%. The Iowa caucuses, like I said, are January 15th. Now, polls are meaningless until we start getting a little closer. We should, we should see Iowa tightening between now and New Year's. Traditionally, in Iowa, candidates in third and fourth place start running incredibly hot. That usually is the case in Iowa. During the home stretch, the candidates in third and fourth place sprint to the finish line and end up coming in first. And you can usually see that in the polling. You can usually see about three weeks before the caucuses, you can begin to see somebody getting hot. Right now, we're not seeing any significant erosion to Trump's lead in Iowa. And I find this somewhat shocking. I do. I, I, I don't understand this. But right after Christmas, if we're not seeing anybody else besides Trump running hot in Iowa, uh, I don't know. Democrats are racing to put abortion on the ballot in several key battleground states. The thinking is that if a referendum to enshrine the right to an abortion appears on any state's ballot, then pro-choice Democrats will make sure to vote next November and, as an afterthought, also cast a ballot for Joe Biden. The thinking is a lot of voters 
aren't going to turn out for Joe Biden, but they will for abortion and then figure what the hell I'll vote for Joe. Montana is a deep red state where Democratic Senator John Tester is running for re-election. Republicans think they can flip the Senate if Tester loses. Axios is reporting that Democrats are hoping to get a referendum on the Montana ballot in November that protects a woman's right to choose. Once again, the thinking is abortion will get Democrats to turn out or at least split-ticket voters will show up. Split-ticket voters who probably go for Trump, but also go for Tester and a woman's right to choose. Wishful thinking. Missouri Republican Senator Josh Hawley is running for re-election. And the St. Louis Dispatch is reporting that two Republican lawmakers in that state are about to introduce a bill that will charge... Any woman who gets an abortion with murder, the new law would give fetuses the same rights as human beings. Well, does that mean they can vote? I mean, I'm sure their brains are about as developed as most Republicans in Missouri. Hawley is most probably going to be running against Democrat Lucas Kuntz, an ex-Marine who supports abortion rights And according to the latest polls, is in striking distance of Josh Hawley. That would be Lucas Kuntz. That is his name. I'm pronouncing it properly. Lucas. I said said Lucas correctly. As in Lucas Kuntz. That's his name. Lucas. Donald Trump continues to alienate the Christian right by downplaying the importance of a national abortion ban, which seems to be gaining steam inside the Republican Party. But Republican candidates for Senate are taking more nuanced positions when it comes to abortion and generally wish the issue would disappear completely. They're they're just wishing when you read the polls Republicans wish abortion never happened. It was a mistake. We were drunk. We weren't thinking right. And now we're stuck with abortion. Trump has attempted to change the abortion conversation by going after Obamacare, promising that one of the first things he will do as president is get rid of Obamacare and replace it with something better. You've heard that before. Trump has been saying this since 2016, since 2015. And whenever he's asked what he would replace Obamacare with, all he can say is something better. The Democrats are hoping that Trump continues to hammer away at Obamacare. Democrats think it's an issue they can win on. And new polling shows that ever since Trump began going after Obamacare hard last month, Obamacare's favorability jumped five percentage points. This is important. A a new morning consult poll shows 57% of Americans now approve of the Affordable Care Act. That's 5% higher than a year ago. And only 32% of Americans now believe Obamacare should be eliminated. That's the lowest number since 2017. 
Obamacare has gotten popular. Why? Because Trump made it popular. Trump, the minute Donald Trump said he was going to get rid of Obamacare, Americans said, wait, we it's not Medicare for all, but it's better than something better, which you keep promising. And that should give Biden supporters some confidence. You know, if you you shouldn't read the polls, it's it's my vice. It's a vice. I know I shouldn't look at the polls. It, they're depressing. Uh, Trump right now is got to understand why these polls don't mean anything. Most of my listeners know they don't mean anything. They keep writing to me and say, stop talking about the polls. Well, Trump right now is still an abstraction and a distraction. He's an abstraction and a distraction. Most Americans aren't thinking about next year's election. But as you just saw, when they're asked to consider specifics, the big ticket issues like abortion or Obamacare, they turn away from Trump and the Republicans. Eventually, the American voter will be forced to cut through all this noise, look at Trump's record vis-a-vis Biden's, and I have to believe the American voter, once they give so much as a cursory glance, they can't help but see that Joe Biden has delivered on some of his promises. Donald Trump never delivers. And that we are better off today than we were four years ago. For example, new job numbers are out for November. And once again, it's a blowout. Granted, this economy doesn't work for half the people in America. Half the people in the United States do not participate in this economy. But we're talking politics, and this economy works for most of the people who vote, I think, right? 40% of Americans who are eligible to vote, vote. 60% of eligible voters stay home. I'm going to assume most of them are the ones who this economy doesn't work for. So if you're going to vote, if, you know, uh, these numbers work for you. I think most voters see these job, job numbers and believe them. Uh, then again, when you poll Bidenomics, it's not doing well. But these are basically the job numbers, uh, you know, for the people who haven't fallen through the cracks. And, uh, you know, even the reporters from Fox News had to agree these are blowout numbers. Unemployment dropped down to 3.7% with 200,000 new jobs created in November. I think those are non-agricultural jobs. Now, full employment is considered 4%. It is generally agreed that the economy can't handle a number lower than 4% unemployment. Anything below 4% traditionally is seen as inflationary. But new numbers show inflation is continuing to cool, with most Americans now saying they are less concerned about inflation than they were a year ago. That might have something to do with wage increases now finally outpacing inflation. And this 
is confounding the experts. For a year, for two years, we've been told to expect a recession. And instead, last quarter, we saw the GDP growing at more than 5%. It's been a decade since we saw a quarter like that. Meanwhile, Jerome Powell, chairman of the Federal Reserve, is jacking up interest rates or threatening to jack up interest rates some more to cool the economy. He's been raising interest rates. It doesn't stop this economy from running hot. We're below 4%. We've got full employment and inflation is tamed. As I said, it's inexplicable. And Joe Biden, Bidenomics, I think, starting next year when Americans actually read the stats and learn that Joe Biden has created more jobs than any president in American history. Donald Trump lost more jobs than any president since Herbert Hoover in the Great Depression. The Biden White House wiped away nearly $5 billion of student loan debt for more than 80,000 Americans last week. The Supreme Court in June reversed President Biden's executive order to forgive hundreds of billions of dollars in student loan debt. But after the ruling, Biden ordered his lawyers to work with the Department of Education to find legal workarounds that would allow him to forgive more debt. And according to the latest numbers, Biden has been able so far to forgive $132 billion in debt for millions and millions of Americans. It's a drop in the bucket. I believe $1.7 trillion. I think student loans add up to $1.7 trillion. It's more than credit card debt. It's a real drag on the economy. And most of it would have been forgiven had it not been for the Supreme Court. So, anyway, I think Biden has a record to run on. The one thing Democrats have to get their arms around is immigration. Republicans want next year to be about immigration because immigration is a gut, lowbrow issue for lowbrow voters. Now, I've told you there is no immigration problem. There is no migrant problem. The only crisis at the border is we're putting these poor people in detention centers instead of thanking them for coming to this country because we need them. We need them. More on that in a second. The only immigration migrant crisis is the one we've created by mistreating these people. So Republicans only have immigration to run on. They can't run on abortion. They want abortion to disappear. They certainly can't run on fiscal responsibility because they are the ones who refuse to get rid of the Trump tax cuts that added $8 trillion to our debt. They're on record trying to defund the Internal Revenue Service so the rich don't have to pay their fair share. 
So they can't run as fiscal hawks. They can't run as being fiscally responsible. They can't run on the economy because we just saw inflation. Inflation is coming down. The cost of fuel is coming down. They keep saying it's going up, but they're liars. The Republicans, they can run on crime because you can fudge numbers with crime. Uh, crime, crime is actually going down, but you can convince Americans that it's going up. But they really can't run. Republicans really can't run on crime, considering their nominee for president, Donald Trump, is awaiting four separate trials on 91 criminal counts, while leading Republicans in the House are trying to defund the FBI. It's not so easy these days for the GOP to portray themselves as the law and order party. They're the ones who are trying to defund the police. They they can try to run on the culture wars like Drag Queen Story Hour and transgender athletes, but most Americans don't care about that. So what's left for Republicans? Hate. Running on hate. But who can you hate? You can't hate our own. You used to be able to, to hate our own. Can't do it anymore. Immigrants hate the foreigners who are trying to get into this country. Immigration, the, the issue of immigration, inhabits everything Republicans are all about. Hatred, racism, xenophobia, cruelty, the imaginary threat of crime, and the imaginary threat of terrorism. That's all wrapped into immigration, a, a fake issue filled with other fake issues. These migrants, according to Republicans, according to Fox News, they're not innocent women, men, and children. They're, uh, they're not coming here fleeing gangs and oppressive regimes. No, you just lie about them and say they're terrorists, which they're not. You call them fentanyl dealers, which they're most certainly not. Criminals, they're not. This is the only issue that works for Republicans. So much so, immigration, this is why the Democrats have to get their arms around this issue. It's beginning to win over Hispanic voters who are not a monolithic voting bloc. At least it's not offending Hispanic voters. Trump, despite calling Mexicans rapists back in 2015, I know this is hard to believe, he got 32% of the Hispanic vote in 2020. Let me repeat that. In 2020, Donald Trump got 32% of the Hispanic vote. Some polls show Trump getting as much as 40% of the Hispanic vote in 2024. Hispanics are moving to the right. And according to the latest polling of Hispanic voters, they have other things on their mind than how ICE 
treats immigrants. Now, Republicans in the House this year passed H.R. 2 with not a single Democrat on board. Speaker Mike Johnson has attached H.R. 2 to the Ukraine supplemental, which Chuck Schumer and Joe Biden said it's not going to happen. H.R. 2 isn't passing. H.R. 2 is incredibly cruel. It makes asylum claims impossible and calls for placing migrant families in Department of Defense detention camps. Politically speaking, forget the morality, the Democrats say they cannot afford to cave on H.R. 2. Immigration, they, they have to be true to their pro-immigration policy, politically speaking, because they risk losing the Hispanic vote. But new polling shows the Hispanic voters are less concerned with immigration, the treatment of migrants, than Democrats like to believe. Turns out Hispanics, American citizens who vote, are more concerned about kitchen table issues like the economy, education, health care. Immigration, according to some polling that I'm reading, is fifth on the list of what concerns Hispanic voters the most. So what does Joe Biden do? What do the Democrats do? Well, you can't keep playing defense on immigration. And Republicans have been playing offense when it comes to migrants at the border. In the past two years, Texas Governor Greg Abbott has been putting migrants on buses and shipping them to sanctuary cities like San Francisco, Los Angeles, and New York. DeSantis literally broke into Texas, stole some migrants, and shipped them up to uh, Massachusetts, Martha's Vineyard. And what they've done, because this is a fake issue, you can then control, you can always control the narrative of a fake issue. If there's an earthquake, you can't control the narrative. But if you create a fictitious problem, a fictitious crisis, like migrants, you can control the, the narrative because it's all a figment of your imagination. And by shipping this cruelty of shipping migrants uh, to San Francisco, Los Angeles, and New York, they have succeeded in making blue state liberals look like the hypocrites that they often are. I've talked about Eric Adams, the mayor of New York City, and he's running around saying, I, I don't know how to handle this migrant crisis. He said, it's the most pressing issue of our time. He said, I can't handle it. Last week, he ran down to Washington, D.C., begging for help on the migrant problem here. And that's playing right into the Republican Party's hands. That's exactly what they want. Blue state mayors complaining about migrants. But Adams, Mayor Adams of New York City, is dishonest. He's slashing our budget here in New York City. There are many things he can't pay for or handle. But like Republicans, he's using the migrants as a scapegoat. We've got overcrowded homeless shelters. 
Blame it on the migrants. No money for our schools. Blame it on the migrants. So how do the Democrats get their arms around this issue and play offense? Because if they remain on defense, uh, this is immigration maybe was what got Trump uh, over the top in the Rust Belt in 2016. Joe Biden has to go on national television and tell the American people, yes, we have a crisis in this country and the crisis isn't migrants. The crisis is we have a shrinking population. And unless we start adding millions and millions of people to our, our economy, millions of new workers, new consumers, new taxpayers, our economy will fall into a permanent state of recession like Japan. You can't grow an economy if your population is shrinking. That's why Germany let in all the Syrian migrants. And without new workers paying taxes, paying into Social Security and Medicare, the social safety net is unsustainable. What President Biden and the Democrats have to do is level with the American people and say, yes, there's a homeless crisis in Los Angeles and San Francisco because there's a shortage of affordable housing. But there are hundreds of cities in America that desperately need more people. Now, Joe Biden, through the CHIPS Act, through the bipartisan infrastructure bill, and the uh, Inflation Reduction Act is pouring trillions of dollars into domestic manufacturing, and it's being spread out around the country. And a lot of cities can't hire. They don't have the workforce. The Washington Post yesterday, please, you should read this article. They had a big article about Pittsburgh, Pittsburgh, Pennsylvania. Pittsburgh, Pennsylvania desperately needs more people. The Washington Post says Pittsburgh's unemployment rate is at a 30-year low, meaning local businesses are finding it impossible to hire people. The suburbs of Pittsburgh have a growing manufacturing base, and since Biden pumped so much money into the CHIPS Act and the you got the infrastructure bill. That manufacturing base in the suburbs of Pittsburgh is expected to grow even faster, but they have a crisis. They don't have enough people to take these jobs and keep their economy growing. Pittsburgh's Democratic mayor, Ed Ganey, told the Washington Post, quote, we are not here to reject any immigration. As a matter of fact, we want to make this the most safe, welcoming, thriving place in America, and you can't do that without immigration. Why wouldn't we want them? Unquote. Why wouldn't you want them? 
racism, bigotry, xenophobia, and stupidia, stupidity. It all falls under the umbrella of stupidity. Our population is shrinking. It's not, we're not getting, America isn't getting more crowded. It's getting less crowded. But you don't hear that story on Fox News. You don't hear about Topeka, Kansas, offering $15,000 to migrants who have the proper documents. They say, if you, Topeka, Kansas right now says, if you have the proper documents, we'll give you $15,000 each to move to Topeka because Topeka needs workers. So does Detroit, Dayton, Ohio, and Erie, Pennsylvania. These cities are going through a generational population implosion while at the same time finding more and more businesses moving in there to take advantage of their affordable housing. These cities are actually hiring consultants to figure out how to make themselves more attractive to migrants. But we don't hear that story. We do in the Washington Post yesterday, but we don't hear the desperate calls for workers. Why not? Why not? This is what Biden needs to do. Uh, The Democrats have to get their arms around immigration, celebrate it, go on national television and say there is an immigration crisis, not enough. He needs to appeal to America's better angels the way Johnson did. When, when did he pass the Immigration Act? 65? Was it 65 when they started bringing in like immigrants from Asia, immigrants we, we never brought in before from countries we never allowed in? Joe Biden needs to tell Greg Abbott he's cruel and vindictive and make sure not to send migrants where there's no housing. Send them where they're needed. Send them where they're needed. Dayton, Ohio, Erie, Pennsylvania, Topeka, Kansas, and Pittsburgh. There are hundreds of cities in the Rust Belt, in the Midwest, who desperately need migrants. And nobody's talking about this. Robert F. Kennedy Jr. said he flew on Jeffrey Epstein's Epstein, Jeffrey Epstein's private jet, the Lolita Express, on two separate occasions, but had no idea what Epstein was up to. Kennedy, during an appearance on Fox News, said he flew once with his children to catch a ride in 1993 in order to visit his mother for Easter. And then another time he flew on the Lolita Express to go fossil hunting in South Dakota with his four children. Ah, I'm sure the Lolita Express was hard to turn down since it was so kid-friendly. How could you not want to take your children on the Lolita Express? By the way, the other night I rewatched Ethel on HBO. It's a documentary about Bobby Kennedy's mother, Ethel Kennedy. Now, I saw it when it first came out. It had to have been more than a decade ago. It's really funny, and I forgot how incredible Ethel the documentary is and how incredible Ethel 
the woman is. She's still alive. How incredible Bobby Kennedy, the father, was. If you have HBO or whatever they're calling it now, Max, Sam, I don't know, stream Ethel, you could probably watch it on YouTube. It will lift you up, especially this time of year. Ethel Kennedy's still alive. It's important to remember that uh, this country once had people like Ethel and Bobby Kennedy. Former speaker. All right, let's talk about Kevin, Kevin McCarthy. How are we doing on time? Okay. Former Speaker Kevin McCarthy is leaving Congress before Christmas, but his Christmas present just arrived early. The House Ethics Committee has reopened its investigation into Matt Gates, the Florida congressman who led the charge to remove Kevin McCarthy as Speaker. Since being forced to vacate the chair, Kevin McCarthy has used every opportunity he could find to call for Matt Gates's ethics probe to be reopened. At one point, McCarthy even suggested that Gates belongs in prison. The Ethics Committee, one day before the vote to expel George Santos, sent out an official request to speak to what is reportedly a very important witness. The investigation into Gates was opened back in 2021, where it was suggested that Matt Gates might have violated federal sex trafficking laws, possibly involving underaged women. The ethics investigation has been hanging over Matt Gates's head and has been inactive ever since back in February when the Justice Department announced that it would not press charges against Matt Gates after looking into allegations that Gates might have violated the Mann Act. According to reports, the Department of Justice felt the witnesses willing to testify against Matt Gates were not credible. Now, between George Santos, Marjorie Taylor Greene, Lauren Boebert, and of course, Kevin McCarthy, a lot of us have lost sight of the fact that within the Republican caucus, Matt Gates is the most hated. There isn't much you can get Republicans to agree on other than hating Matt Gates. Now, I said on yesterday's show with McCarthy leaving before Christmas, George Santos gone. And Ohio Republican Congressman Bill Johnson set to resign sometime before March. The Republicans could be looking at a one vote majority in the House, maybe by February. And then Santos's seat is expected to be flipped. It's going to go blue. It's going to be taken by a Democrat. So, We're only halfway through the 118th Congress. By the way, some of you corrected me, and I don't know what I said. Uh, I'm pretty sure yesterday I said we are currently, uh, we currently have the 118th Congress. I think that's what I said, Uh, and I think that's correct. The 118th Congress convened in January of this year, and 
it will end in January of 2025. And I think I got that right. I think I called it the 118th Congress. I think I did. Maybe I didn't. What I think I got wrong is I referred to the previous Congress as the 116th Congress. It's the 117th Congress. So maybe I did. I was off. Anyway, I stand corrected. I don't even know what I said on yesterday's show. But it is currently, I think, the 118th Congress. And uh, the Congress before that would be 1 minus 118. My math is a little weak this morning. I think that would be 117. And then you double that. And you know how old America is. So I apologize for the confusion. Anyway, we're not even halfway through the 118th Congress. What do you think the odds are that Democrats end up with the majority sometime next year? I am hearing reports of infighting within the Republican caucus that borders on the cataclysmic more and more Republicans are going to be heading for the door after the holidays. Now, do you remember when Jim Jordan was running for speaker? What was that, six weeks ago, two months ago? And all the death threats directed at Republican House members who wouldn't vote for him? Do you remember that? We forget. But there were, there were members of the Republican caucus who were getting death threats because they wouldn't vote for Jim Jordan for speaker. If it starts to look like Trump is going to be the nominee, I'm hearing there are a handful of Republicans in the House who are going to say, I'm out of here before spring for their own physical safety. A lot of Republicans say privately they don't feel safe. Their families are not safe, not only in Washington, D.C., but back home. And a lot of Republicans want out. Not good. Not good. So what happens? You get three or four Republicans who say, I can't take it anymore. I'm coming home. Then the Democrats have the majority. Does, does Hakeem Jeffries become speaker? What happens? Kevin McCarthy yesterday said he was endorsing Donald Trump for president and would consider taking a cabinet position if Trump offered him one that McCarthy felt was appropriate. Maybe you'd like to be ambassador to Douchebagia, the country of Douchebagia. I think that's the only appointment that would be appropriate for Kevin McCarthy in a Trump administration. It's incredible. It's incredible. McCarthy is leaving. He doesn't have to endorse Donald Trump. He could leave quietly, go take a job on K Street. But craven ambition always gets the best of Kevin McCarthy. Last week, we reported that after McCarthy lost the speakership, he called Donald Trump to find out why the former president didn't lobby for him. 
didn't lobby for him the same way he did back in January when Trump helped to whip votes for McCarthy to win the speakership after 15 rounds. In their phone conversation, after Kevin McCarthy vacated the chair, he he said to Trump, why didn't you help me? And Trump reportedly accused Kevin McCarthy of being disloyal Telling McCarthy that telling McCarthy that he had nine months as speaker to expunge Trump's two impeachments, but he didn't do it. That's why I didn't help you. And McCarthy reportedly screamed at the top of his lungs, go F yourself. And that's not the first time Kevin McCarthy screamed at Donald Trump. McCarthy reportedly yelled at Trump on January 6 while he was cowering. From the insurrectionists, McCarthy got on the phone, told Trump to call off the attack dogs. And Trump reportedly said, apparently, these people care more about the election being stolen than you do. And yet, Kevin McCarthy, knowing who Trump is, what he's capable of doing to this country, he's still endorsing Trump for president still endorsing Trump for president. Meanwhile, as I said at the top of the show, a Los Angeles Times investigation reveals that for more than a decade, Kevin McCarthy used his super PAC to travel around the country, flying first class, staying at the best hotels, eating at the finest restaurants, and charging his own super PAC in excess of $1 million for this extravagant lifestyle. To give you an idea how outlandish this is, it is double the combined total of the seven House members who held leadership positions during that 10-year period. In other words, if you took all the Democrats and Republicans in the House who served as Speaker, Majority Leader, Minority Leader, whip during the past decade, if you added up what they all charged their individual super PACs for travel, hotel and meals, Kevin McCarthy is twice the combined total. Take a look at this is a graph from. uh, No, it isn't. Hang on. Here we go. Okay, now we can take a look at this is uh, prepared by the Los Angeles times it's a breakdown look at this it's incredible in the past decade kevin mccarthy spent one million seventy two thousand dollars on first class hotels travel and meals and he took it out of his leadership pack they all have super packs that's why they're in leadership positions right behind kevin mccarthy is Mr. Moneybags, the the bag man for Wall Street, Chuck Schumer, currently the majority leader. In the past decade, while Kevin McCarthy spent $1,072,000 on restaurants, hotels, and private jets, Chuck Schumer, $106,000. His predecessor, Harry Reid, spent $87,000. John Boehner, When he was speaker, during his 10 years as speaker or minority leader, $85,000. Mitch McConnell, $48,000. 
Nancy Pelosi only spent $17,000. It's incredible. And Kevin McCarthy spent $1,072,000 of his super PAC on travel, first-class travel, private jets, first-class hotels, restaurants, doing the people's business. The L.A. Times reports over the weekend that in just two years, McCarthy charged a quarter of a million dollars to his super PAC in order to stay at a California luxury resort that costs upwards of $3,000 a night. Between 2012 and June of this year, Kevin McCarthy's super PAC, his leadership PAC, raised $26 million. That's public record. Go to Open Secrets. You can see this. He raised $26 million with $14.7 million going towards campaign contributions to other House candidates. Like I said at the top of the show, it's how you get elected speaker. If you can raise the money, you can buy the votes by spreading that money around. You donate it to the campaigns of your fellow lawmakers or try to get them uh, elected. You know, you find people who've never run before and you get them elected and you spend money on them. You've got them for life. So he spent he raised twenty six million dollars. Get out your calculators. He raised twenty six million dollars, but only spent fourteen point seven million dollars on what that money was supposed to go towards other candidates. And that leaves him with about $12 million, $11 million sitting in a super PAC. Who gets it? Who gets it? Last year, the Federal Election Commission, by a vote of four to two, ruled that United States law does not prevent members of Congress from using their super PAC money, the money they have left over, to pay for their family's personal expenses. In other words, this is what the Los Angeles Times talked about. They said it would be pushing it, but theoretically, Kevin McCarthy could take the money, $11 million, $12 million that he has left in his war chest, he could take that money from a super PAC and buy a house with it. This has never been done before. Nobody ever bought a house with their super PAC. But you know what else hasn't been done before? This. Somebody spending $1,072,000 of campaign donations on private jets, first-class restaurants, and hotels. It's pretty incredible. Some say it's legal. Some say it's not. Somebody should open up an ethics investigation into this. Somebody should look into this. Lauren Boebert is now accused of dipping into her campaign war chest to pay for tickets to see her former boyfriend compete in a bicycle race. 
According to new reporting, Boebert used campaign cash. And I, I'm not being petty here. I'm trying to make a larger point, okay? And I'm being petty. She used campaign cash totaling $339.94 to watch then-boyfriend and Demo- he was a Democrat, he is a Democrat, Quinn Gallagher. She paid, used $339.94 from her campaign war chest to watch her boyfriend come in 774th out of 1,788 competitors in a Colorado bike race. Okay? And this is considered scandalous in her district, $339.94. She's also being accused of dipping into her campaign war chest in order to spend $317 last July at her boyfriend's Colorado bar, which is famous for hosting Drag Queen Night. If you remember, Bobert and this guy Gallagher were recently thrown out of a performance of the musical Beetlejuice after the congresswoman was seen vaping, making noise, and groping her boyfriend's nether regions while he groped her bosoms in front of her children. In front of children, not her children. Bosoms. Funny word, bosoms. Okay, so this is a scandal in her home district, $339.94 to watch her boyfriend in a bike race, and then $317 to buy some drinks at his bar, okay? Compare that to Kevin McCarthy, $1,072,000 on restaurants, private jets, and hotels. As Bob Dylan says, right? Steal little, they throw you in jail, steal a lot, and they make you king. That would be Lauren Bobert. Lauren Bobert. Bridget Ziegler, one of the co founders of Moms for Liberty, has been taken off the Moms for Liberty organization's website. How people turn, how quickly people turn. She founded Moms for Liberty, and now they're ashamed to have her name associated with this parental rights organization. Why? What did she do that's so wrong? She is married to Christian Ziegler, the chairman of Florida's Republican Party, who now faces possible charges of rape after a woman who the Zieglers admit to having threesomes with reported Christian Ziegler to the police. Apparently, according to the report, uh, Christian Ziegler didn't want to do a threesome with this woman. He just wanted to cheat on his wife uh, and then ended up allegedly raping her. And Moms for Liberty which was founded in Florida and has been labeled a hate group by the Southern Poverty Law Center for its virulent attacks on the LGBTQ community. They are erasing. It's Stalin-esque. They're just erasing Bridget Ziegler. She helped found Moms for Liberty, all because what? She is bisexual. She's a lesbian. 
and Moms for Liberty wants to outlaw homosexuality. I don't think that's fair. Florida Governor Ron DeSantis and Florida Senator Rick Scott have urged Christian Ziegler to step down as chairman of Florida's Republican Party, even though he has yet to be formally charged with rape. There are reports that police in Florida now have in possession cell phone video of the alleged attack. Meanwhile, Christian Ziegler insists that because Donald Trump has not called for his resignation, he takes that as a full-throated endorsement from the former president to stay on as the Florida Republican chair. You know, in the Trump campaign, if you're accused of rape, that's considered a resume builder. Republican congressman from upstate New York, Brandon Williams, was caught on video earlier in the week, pointing his finger in the face of a former staffer, warning that, quote, if you F with my family, I will destroy all your relationships in Washington, D.C., Well, why did he say that? Brandon Williams is a first-term Republican congressman who barely won his district. It was a district that was carried by Joe Biden in 2020. In an interview with Politico, Congressman Brandon Williams tried to explain why he was threatening the former staffer. Turns out, according to Congressman Brandon Williams, The ex-staffer threatened to go public with Congressman Brandon Williams' 27-year-old daughter. Uh, Turns out she has an OnlyFans account. Now, I don't know what OnlyFans is, but apparently it's where the congressman's 27-year-old daughter takes money to... uh, do things. According to Congressman Brandon Williams, after he parted ways with his chief of staff and legislative director, the two of them conspired to get even and humiliate the congressman by making sure Congressman Brandon Williams' constituents knew that their congressman's daughter was performing explicit acts on OnlyFans. The congressman told Politico that after he warned the former aide not to mess with his family, the former aide said to him, quote, hey, F word you. He didn't say F word, but he said F you. Guess what, bitch? This is what the staffer said to Congressman Brandon Williams. Hey, F word you. Guess what, bitch? All I have to do is pay seven dollars to watch your daughter shove her phone up her P-word, unquote. That is the, that's what Congressman Brandon Williams told Politico, the former staffer said to him. Hey, F-word, guess what, bitch? All I have to do is pay $7 to watch your daughter shove her phone up her P-word. As I've said, it's not what's wrong with these people, it's what's What isn't wrong with these Republicans? Congress Brandon Williams is halfway through his first term and reportedly has a higher rate of staff turnover than is usual. Yeah, I mean, 
you know, you got to hire the right people. Brandon. Let's go, Brandon. Let's go, Brandon. Good family values, conservative. Republican Congressman Brandon Williams. Hey, I don't judge anyone whose daughter ends up on OnlyFans. Brandon Williams does. I don't. South Carolina Congresswoman, I'm going through my notes here. These are, this is me being very petty and mean. I collect little nasty stories. Some of them I can't even report. Some of them, there's one that, that is hypocritical, but it's just so sad that I just won't go there. South Carolina Congresswoman Nancy Mace is one of the eight Republicans who voted to kick Kevin McCarthy out of the speaker's chair. This is just gossip now. This is like, forget the forget Appropriations Acts, Section 702. This is just gossip. Uh, anyway, Congresswoman Nancy Mace is one of the eight Republicans who voted to kick Kevin McCarthy out of the speaker's chair. Six of her staffers have resigned, claiming she runs a toxic workplace. Now, to her credit, back in 2021, she voted to certify the election for Joe Biden. But uh, back in November, the Daily Beast got its hands on an internal memo that Congresswoman Mace had sent to her staffers demanding that she get as much national attention as possible so she could be known as, quote, the thought leader on federal issues. She put that into writing. She wants as much attention as well let's give her some attention you've probably seen nancy mace all over msnbc and cnn and of course fox news her staffers were expected to book congressman nancy mace on at least three cable news network programs per day and six local television channels six times a week the daily beast reports that one-third of her congressional budget has been spent on, quote-unquote, marketing, not constituent services, not helping the people of South Carolina, marketing, so she could be considered a thought leader on federal issues. And according to one aide, the only reason Congresswoman Nancy Mace voted for Kevin McCarthy to vacate the chair is she saw an opening and realize how much publicity could be garnered if she was one of the eight. Since McCarthy vacated the chair, Mace began walking around the Capitol in a T-shirt with a scarlet A, claiming she's been ostracized by the caucus for her decision. I think the A doesn't stand for adultery for Nancy Mace. I think the A stands for attention. Well, I won't say the second part of the word. Last week, three of her senior staffers quit on her, with one of them complaining that during meetings, the congresswoman would often describe the previous night's sex with her boyfriend. That's an ethics violation. All they have to do is go before. That's harassment. 
they could take her before the ethics committee. While speaking before the 13th annual prayer breakfast down in South Carolina last summer, that was organized by Senator Tim Scott, Congresswoman Nancy May said she was running late because her boyfriend tried to pull her back into bed for some premarital sex. This is in front of a prayer breakfast. Uh, And then she assured the audience that uh, he would be getting some premarital sex later that evening, that she she was running late so she couldn't give him premarital sex. This is a Republican congresswoman talking to... uh, some of the leading Christians of South Carolina. Another year, another standing room only event. And when I woke up this morning at 7, I I was getting picked up at 7.45. Patrick, my fiance, tried to pull me by my waist over this morning in bed. And I was like, no, baby, we don't got time for that this morning. Uh, I got to get to the prayer breakfast. And I got to be on time. And a little TMI. But um, I... He'll, he can wait. He's got, we got, I'll see him later tonight. Um. So she's telling a Christian prayer breakfast that she's having sex before marriage. Well, it turns out the congresswoman and her boyfriend, Charleston, South Carolina, this is just gossip. Um, there's no, there's no larger point to any of this other than I'm petty and uh, I like pointing out the hypocrisies of the family value conservatives in the Republican Party. So Congresswoman Nancy Mace and her boyfriend, Charleston, South Carolina entrepreneur Patrick Bryan are splitting up. That's the same one who wanted to have premarital sex before she spoke to the prayer breakfast. And it's going to be a pretty nasty breakup. Apparently, the couple invested in two multi-million dollar properties together. One of them, an oceanfront condo. And it's going to be a pretty nasty breakup. The congresswoman reportedly broke up with Brian, the Charleston, South Carolina entrepreneur, uh, when she discovered he was still using a dating app. And he tried to explain, no, I'm on the dating app to expunge my name from the dating app. Mm -hmm. Republican presidential candidate Chris Christie has a niece. Her name is Shannon Epstein. Shannon was thrown off a Spirit Airlines flight during the 2022 Thanksgiving holiday weekend as the jet was trying to leave New Orleans International Airport. According to police, the 26-year-old was drunk and while on the flight, as as they were taxing to the runway, she accused an Hispanic couple seated near her of smuggling cocaine. While she had a meltdown and the jet had to return to the gate, where police attempted to escort her off the jet, but she allegedly became violent and had to be wrestled to the ground, where she reportedly proceeded to bite a police officer's left bicep, drew blood, took seven officers to handcuff Chris Christie's niece, 
and they had to strap her to a wheelchair as she foamed at the mouth, screaming and spitting at them. Six of the seven police officers reported minor injuries. Chris Christie's niece warned them while this was going on that she was the former governor's daughter, not niece. She claimed to be his daughter. She said she knew Donald Trump personally. She she said she wanted their names because she was going to tell Donald Trump what happened, quote, and you people are going to be so effed. But she said the word. Earlier this week, after more than a year, it's been a year since this happened, Shannon was officially charged with resisting arrest by force and violence. That's a felony. She was also charged with public intoxication and disturbing the peace. Those are misdemeanors. So why am I bringing all this stuff up? Because I'm a hateful, petty man. But it's the tip of the iceberg when it comes to the depravity you'll find inside the Republican Party and their families. There's some stories that I couldn't even bring myself to tell you. Most of you, this is, I'm talking about impeachment now. Most of you are too young to remember what happened when Republicans impeached Bill Clinton uh, over something as simple as morals. It was, yeah, he lied during a deposition, but it was a sting operation and he was lying about oral sex. And if you remember, the Republican Party was revealed to be a party of adultery and abortions. And because they were going after Bill Clinton on morals, a lot of Republicans got punished. Like, you want to go there? Let's go there. This is what happened during the impeachment. We learned about Newt Gingrich uh, serving divorce papers on his first wife's deathbed. We learned about his current wife, the Speaker of the House back then, Newt Gingrich, performing oral sex on Newt Gingrich in the office of the Speaker. We we learned about uh, his successor, Livingston, uh, having an adulterous affair. We learned about Henry Hyde having a family, two families. We learned about uh, Bob Barr. There's Bill Bob Barr uh, driving his girlfriend uh, across state lines for an abortion. Once you go for morals, if you're the Republican Party and you're going after a Democrat, on uh, morals, the gloves are off. Uh, The problem is the Republicans have no morals when it comes to sex and other things, and it's going to get ugly if they try to impeach Joe Biden. Even Ken Starr, the the prosecutor, Torquemada, they got him. They, it took a while, but they got him. He, he was scandalized for turning a blind eye to the sexual assault that went on when he was president 
of Baylor. There are Democratic Party operatives who have a long memory. And if you're going to go after Joe Biden on morals, uh, it's going to get ugly. Uh, We know that Joe Biden didn't commit any crimes. Even Ducey, the guy from Fox, said so. So there's no there's no link at all to whatever Hunter Biden did and Joe. Zero. No evidence. Now, this is politics. This is and they're using morals that what they want to do is just wave Hunter Biden in front of the American people to humiliate Joe Biden and make maybe make him politically liable. Uh, We know there's no secret. Hunter Biden, very troubled, uh, wrote a book about his troubles, alcoholic, depression, crack addict, sex addict, uh, paid for prostitutes and posted some interesting videos on Pornhub. He led a debauched life uh, after his brother died. So this impeachment if the Republicans go through with it, will be about Hunter Biden's morals, his lifestyle. There's no, there are no financial crimes. The taxes, but that has nothing to do with getting Joe Biden. Uh, Republicans are stupid. They have a short memory. They don't know how vicious Democratic operatives are and how long their memories are. My advice to Republicans, especially Speaker Mike Johnson, you go all in on impeachment. The Senate's not going to convict. You need 60 votes, right? I think it's 60, and it's not going to happen. So Biden will be left standing. I can assure you there are going to be some Republican lawmakers who will pay a steep price for going after Hunter Biden. Uh, The Democrats are pretty good at oppo research. They have things. How can you not have things on the Republicans? How do you think Trump is able to get everybody to march and lockstep? There are files on all these Republicans. So... Go ahead and impeach Joe Biden and go, you know, keep calling yourself the, the, the party of good Christian family values. You impeach, you vote to impeach, you, you uh, amp up the inquiry. By the time the Democrats are done with you, your wife and kids will no longer be talking to you. We know who you are. And what you're doing. So for the sake of your reputation and your family's reputation, I don't recommend uh, impeaching Joe Biden. I think a lot of people remember Henry Hyde, remember Bob Barr, remember Livingston, remember Newt Gingrich. He he was scant. That's not why he 
had to leave the speakership, but he was scandalized. Remember Ken Starr at Baylor? Uh, that's my advice to the Republicans. I wouldn't mess with the uh, Democratic attack machine. I'm David Feldman, reminding you to stay strong and protect the weak. Please share this with your friends. That's the best way to help me. Uh, the show, the only reason this show is growing is because the listeners uh, share these episodes with other friends and family. So please copy and paste the link to this episode and put it on social media or in a text or an email. Leave a comment. I'm sure I got a lot of things wrong. Uh, leave a comment. Let me know what you're thinking. Please subscribe to my newsletter and my channel, please. Thank you to the mods, the people, Autumn and uh, Bob in the chat room for keeping the conversation civil. Leave a comment. I think that covers everything, right? Okay. All right. Thank you. I'll see everybody. I may do a show tomorrow as well. I have a lot of stories that are piling up on my desk that I just wanted to share with you. A little gossip. So uh, I have some more gossip. That, I mean, it's not gossip. It's true. Uh, so maybe I'll do a show tomorrow night. Okay, thank you.